Welcome to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Visit heartstrong.life forward slash login to access the notes from today and all the benefits of our membership community. One to the two and two to the three. Let the world see the Holy Trinity. Let's become HeartStrong Disciples of Jesus together. I am teaching on uh, Leviticus chapters 19 and 20. Uh, so let's start uh, with our memory verse this morning. Is there someone here in the room who would like to, to uh, share the memory verse with us? Either if you've got it memorized or if you need to read it, either is okay. But we'd, we'd love to start with the memory verse this morning. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Thank you, Marie. So today, we're diving into chapters 19 and 20. And in these chapters, we see that God is the only one speaking, as he continues to deliver an extensive list of rules that touch on every aspect of life. These chapters correct the mistaken notion that religious relationships and social relationships are two different worlds. Truly, Leviticus teaches us that every aspect of our lives is to be lived in the eye of God. Whether we are in the kitchen, in the bedroom, at the office, in our community, or out with our friends, God wants every aspect of our lives to glorify him. Holy living before God and honest living before our neighbors are the two pillars upon which all of God's demands rest. These are often referred to as vertical laws or how to live honorably before God, or we can think of it as God to man laws, and horizontal laws, how to live in community with one another, or man-to-man laws. Jesus captured these two pillars best when he answered an expert in the law who tested him with the question about which the greatest commandment was. When he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's from Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. It might catch us by surprise that when Jesus describes the greatest command, he quoted from the books of Deuteronomy and this Leviticus chapter 19. It encapsulates the idea of total devotion to God. Heart, mind, and soul were not meant to describe rigid compartments of the human experience, 
but rather together refer to the whole person. Chapters 18 to 20 give very descriptive moral laws and instructions to the Israelites that are meant to separate them from the surrounding cultures. Chapter 18 deals with unlawful sexual relations and sets strict boundaries around sexual intercourse. Chapter 19 gives instruction to the people on how to treat one another in their everyday lives. And chapter 20 spells out the consequences that were to be given for the most serious offenses that were listed in chapter 18. Remember, if God is holy, then the space around God is holy. So if his people want to be in his presence, they too have to be holy. Through the law, God provides a way for his people to live in his presence, and it involves both sacrifice and sanctification. Leviticus is the bridge, a way to be in God's presence despite our sinful hearts. The book of Leviticus is interested in this dilemma. How does the author of all life stay in relationship with those who love death? So let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of a new day. The sun rose again this morning, which is a testimony to your faithfulness in holding all things together. Father God, as we continue to learn from the book of Leviticus, we ask for your revelation to come. We ask that you would give us ears to hear your word and by the power of your spirit within us, give us the strength, O oh Lord, to walk in your ways. As we read your word today, Father God, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us individually about how we can live both holy and honest lives so that we can be a witness to the world. Amen. So before we dive into what these chapters say about holy living and honest living, I think it's important to highlight four words that we see expressed 16 times in chapter 19 alone. I am the Lord. This title for God identifies him as the covenant Lord of his people, Israel. Chapter 19's beginning and end reflect on the main event of Israel's past their formation as God's people at Sinai, and their deliverance from Egyptian bondage. The grounds for the demands of holy living and honest living detailed in these chapters is based on the fact that Israel and God had a history, a relationship, and a future plan. The law was not a human creation. It was given by God. So this means that although the law is ancient and delivered in a different culture, it still contains a message that transcends a particular time and people. 
There are important underlying principles that are relevant to any generation of believers, including ours. So let's look and see what chapter 19 has to say about holy living. So Leviticus 19 verse 1 starts out with, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. This is a call to all believers. 1 Peter 1 verses 14 to 16 tells us, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy, which references this verse in Leviticus chapter 19. Peter understood that the church of Jesus Christ, made of both Jews and Gentiles at this point, undertook the commission that God gave his people, his covenant people at Mount Sinai. You shall be to me a holy nation. That's from Exodus 19, verse 6, and 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Our day-to-day -day choices should reflect the essence of who God is and his claim on us as his unique possession. By exhibiting the holiness of God through Israel's conduct, the nation functioned as a witness to other nations. I love that. Our Christian conduct serves the same purpose to the unbelieving world today, a witness. Verses three to eight in chapter 19 begin with a command to obey parents. At first glance, we may scratch our heads and wonder why this command would be at the head of the chapter, even before the command to worship the Lord and avoiding idolatry. But the nature of parental authority, revere your mother and father, is a way in which we show our loyalty to the Lord. Honor for parents is an essential building block for the stability and health of a society. If the younger generations are constantly at war with the older generations, the foundations of society will crumble. When we are loyal to God, we will be respectful of our parents. Verses five to eight show us that sacrifices were to be made in a specific way according to God's commands. And if they were not carried out in the prescribed manner, then the person who offered it would have profaned that which is holy. So even if the sacrifice was offered according to the law, if it was not eaten according to the law, it was not going to be accepted. My ESV study Bible notes this when referencing chapter 19. Holiness means more than mere separation, but it always signifies that something is set apart in its proper sphere. And in verses 19 to 32, this principle is applied to a variety of areas of life. Two different kinds of domesticated animals were not to be crossbred. Two types of cloth were not to be woven together. 
Holiness requires that things stay in their proper sphere, just as Israel must observe its separation from the other nations. These passages use the language of difference, different kinds, two kinds, distinction. And what it is saying is that the believer's life must differentiate itself from the conduct of unbelievers or those who practice pagan worship. In one of the commentaries I read, it noted that the mixing of things such as different species of livestock, seeds, and fabrics was usually seen by ancient pagans as a source of magical power. Of course, in this day and age, we don't consider wearing a polycotton t-shirt a sin, but I think we would all agree that there are important distinctions about believers that have become blurred within Christianity in the present age. Back then, false religions regularly relied on magic for understanding the will of the gods by fortune telling and consulting with mediums. But God is saying to them, you must rely solely upon my word as it has been revealed to Moses. The neighboring peoples practiced forms of self-mutilation through cutting their hair, cutting their bodies, tattooing themselves as part of their devotion to their gods. And the Israelites were strictly prohibited from these practices. Fertility cults dominated Canaanite religion and prostitution was a common feature of its worship. And as we read in verse 32, an Israelite father was prohibited from forcing his daughter into prostitution. The Canaanites thought they were being pious by making their daughters participate in the cult of fertility. But the Lord is making it clear that these immoral practices would actually pollute the land and make it a depraved nation. So we see here in chapter 19, when it comes to holy living, that everything from cattle, clothing, crops, and the treatment of sexual offenders must be treated with distinction. There was a constant reminder that the people of God showed their worship of the one true God by their conduct in life's daily settings. You know, we do not imitate all of these ancient customs today, but the principle that they teach us is still applicable. We are to live a life that shows our devotion to Christ and his moral expectations. As kingdom citizens, we are commissioned to live holy lives, conducting ourselves according to God's moral standard, not the moral standard of the present age that we live in. The quality of the fruit of our choices in life reveal the nature of the tree that produced it. Matthew chapter 7 verse 20 says, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. For God's people not to live holy lives is as incongruous as a husband or a wife who wears a wedding ring 
but occasionally acts married. I think that what we have been learning through the study of Leviticus is that holiness is not lim limited to the setting of worship. Our faith in God must be manifested outside the walls of our homes and church. As I mentioned earlier, just like Israel was to be a witness to the world, set apart, so are we. So I mentioned at the beginning, holy living and honest living. So now we're going to look at what chapter 19 has to say about honest living. Verses 9 to 16 highlight the importance of treating other people with integrity. Verses 9 and 10 describe how the landowner must provide some of his produce for the poor. The verse reads, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. God provides for the poor via the surplus of the rich. By leaving the edges of the grain harvest and the fallen fruit of the vineyards, for the poor to obtain, the community sustained the impoverished. This was like a public assistance program in Israel. And you might recall that it is exactly this principle that brought Ruth and Boaz together. You can read that in Ruth chapter 2. Both Leviticus 23 and 25 mention this as well, taking care of the poor and the needy. Verses 11 and 12 restate the section of the Ten Commandments that pertain to how a person must treat his neighbor. Integrity in all dealings with fellow members of the community was demanded by the Lord. To injure another person was an offense against God. Theft, lying, and giving false testimony in court were obviously not expressions of loving one's neighbor. Cain asked in Genesis, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer to that in a way is yes. Each of us has a responsibility towards others before God. Holiness impacts our personal relationships and our social obligations to we see in verses 13 to 16 that God commanded the Israelites not to use people's wounds, weaknesses, or vulnerabilities to their advantage. It gives examples of a person who is a hired worker, a disabled person, and a poor person who does not have a social status to withstand the power of landowners merchants, and government officials. Again, we come back to the guiding principle for the ethical treatment of others, which says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We prove our faith is real if we live by the great commandment to care for the needs of others.
Verse 17 and 18 read, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This passage immediately emphasizes solidarity of the community by using words like brother and sons of your own people. Remember, in Luke chapter 10, verses 29 to 37, Jesus answered the question, who is my neighbor? By showing the parable of the good Samaritan and that a neighbor is anyone in need and is not limited to ethnic or economic lines. Even here in Leviticus, we read, to hate a brother is to hold a grudge against them and act out of vengeance. Remember 1 John chapter 3, verse 15 says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life present in him. The Bible prohibits personal vengeance. We see that in Deuteronomy 32, Romans 12, and Hebrews 10. Seeing revenge as the domain of God, who as the righteous judge can alone exact the proper measure of wrath against evildoers. Although the person may have initially been wronged by another person, if he holds a grudge, he will have exchanged his innocence for sin. The irony is clear here. The offended person then becomes the offender. Verse 17 says, but reason frankly with them. In Hebrew, the words reason frankly mean to judge, correct, convince another person. The sense of this passage is that by discussing the offense, the wrongdoer will come to see his sin and repent. The only motivation for correcting a brother was the threat of committing sin. So confrontation is not meant to humiliate, ridicule, or exact vengeance, but rather to resolve conflict without any lingering resentment. Too often, we let resentment be stored away like garbage in a dumpster. And unless we deal with it honestly and humbly, the trash eventually spills out into our lives. Verses 33 to 37 talks about treating others with justice. Special concern is given to strangers in the land or foreigners. Since the Israelites had been strangers in Egypt and knew what it was like, they ought to treat the strangers living among them just like themselves. The command in verse 33 is broadened beyond one's own people group, but to foreigners as well. The call to holy living in the Bible always involves our obligations towards others. It is not just a matter of avoiding doing harm to other people. 
It's a matter of seeking justice for others. We must be proactive in bringing our Christian commitments into play when we consider what is just in the church, community, and society at large. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17 says, Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. In caring for those in need, the believer discovers that their acts of compassion for the needy are the same as if done for Jesus himself. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That's Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 to 40. So we're going to take a deep breath and move now into chapter 20. So it's like switching gears a little bit. But it's difficult to account for the position of this chapter 20, because naturally we would expect it to follow Leviticus 18, because Leviticus 20 contains the penalties attached to the sins outlined in Leviticus 18. It may be that before enacting these severe punishments in chapter 20, the lawgiver, God, wanted to appeal to the nation of Israel again and remind them of their call to holiness and the manner in which they should treat their people, their land, their neighbors, and their family members, just as we read in chapter 19. Whereas Leviticus 18 addresses the would-be offender of a God-given decree that pertained to sexual relations, Leviticus 20 addresses the Israelite community, which was responsible for seeing that violators of the law receive their punishment. Chapter 20 continues the divine call to holiness, focusing on issues having to do with sexual immorality. After beginning the chapter by addressing issues of spiritual adultery, such as sacrificing children to Moloch and consulting mediums, it specifies relationships and sexual acts that the Israelites were not to engage in. And if they did, the punishment was serious, including death. These laws can be seen as commanding the people to avoid any action that ignored the order that God had revealed in his creation. Remember, the Canaanites who presently lived in the promised land 
were deeply involved in all of these sins listed in chapter 20. And because of that, God would use Israel to judge them and drive them out. God's people are to abstain from sexual immorality, not only because it's wrong, but because it puts up a barrier between people and God. We find a similar perspective on sexual sin, holiness, and a relationship with God in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 to 20, and you might recognize these verses, because the Apostle Paul writes, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. When we understand that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit and that our bodies are for God, then we find a reason to live as a holy people. Verses 22 to 24 say, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I'm driving out before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing in milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. God wanted Israel to obey him so that the same fate of the Canaanites would not happen to them. Remember that one reason for many of these laws it was the fact that Israel was God's chosen nation. They had and still have an important role in God's unfolding plan of the ages. They were chosen to receive the covenants, chosen to receive God's revealed word, and they were chosen to be the lineage of the Messiah. Some Jewish commentaries that I read indicated that the total number of laws given to Moses in these books is around 613, although the Bible doesn't record a number. So we hear, knowing that the number is in the hundreds, we hear that number and we think to ourselves, oh my goodness, I could never obey that many laws. But the truth is, in Canada, we have far more laws than Israel did. And yet we fully expect to be able to obey Canadian law. The real reason the law couldn't be obeyed is because humans have sinful desires that overrule our desire to obey God. The problem isn't not being able to work out how to obey so many laws. It's that deep down inside, there are times that we don't want to. Our hearts are inclined to seek the fulfillment of other desires besides the desire to please God. That's why there was never a sinless human being until Jesus came. That's why he obeyed the law for us. That's why Jesus, by his spirit, gives us new hearts that want to obey him. And we gradually learn that the way of obedience to God is the way of true joy.
Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the Heartstrong shop with all kinds of merch like hoodies and t-shirts and mugs to remind you of this journey of discipleship that you're on. You can log in to heartstrong.life forward slash login to access your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible boot camp for kids. Let's become heartstrong disciples together.